Hello, hello. Greetings, friends. It's another Chapo coming at you this Monday afternoon. It's uh, me, Matt, and Felix. And in a little bit, I will be discussing corruption in Afghan mining contracts with the journalist Zach Complin. Uh Before we get there, uh, just some regular, regular Chapo uh, business to attend to. Um, so let's kick off uh, today's show with, I think, maybe hopefully a new feature on the show. It's, it's Zoo Report. That's right. We're reporting on the animals at the zoo. Uh, Felix and I went to the Bronx Zoo on Friday, and we've come back with some uh, interesting animal facts. I'm, uh, I'm afraid uh, Matt could not attend our day outing to the zoo as he is banned from all wildlife uh, preserves, zoos, circuses, and things of that nature. Look, uh, is it a crime to try to dose the elephants with LSD <laughs> so that they can uh, uh, escape? If so, lock me up. There's a photo of him at the ticket the ticket booth, and it says, "Do not, do not let this man into the zoo. Do not let him into the Bronx Zoo. All the apes get too damn horny when they see him." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, Felix, uh, what, what what did you make of the zoo? What was your what were your what was your favorite animal experience um, on Friday? And and if there, are, are there any animal facts that you would like to share with our audience? I feel like the best uh, like thing we saw was the two gorilla kids playing. That was really that was wonderful. awesome. They yeah. were they were sort of roughhousing. They were doing a little light a light scrapping with each other. But the best part of it all was that like it all kicked off when one of them just took a giant armful of hay and just like splashed it on the other's head. And he <laughs> yeah. was running around with a little cap of hay, just throwing hands at his brother. Well, gorillas love hay. Like they in captivity, they seem to hang out with hay and do a lot of hay tricks. Um, there were there were some things I found like artistically interesting. Like we were there was a monorail portion that me and Will rode, and uh, like everything on the monorail was pretty cool. Like we went past this like one part of the zoo that is like three different types of African deer that were hanging out. Asian deer, I believe. No, I think, I think they, they were. were... A- I think they were Asian. To quote the cable guy. I don't know. I forget, but like they were also <laughs> they were very cool deer species. Yeah, they were like they were like peacocks walking around them too. But then like a few like fifty feet away, like right under the monorail, there was a red panda just living alone under the train tracks. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a like like a, yeah, just like a like a houseless person. They have this this red panda, and he's literally living under like an overpass, a, a monorail overpass, and they're like he's playing a harmonica. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he's he's cooking beans over a garbage fire. Yeah, that's the Coleman Francis of red pandas. Um, it was. I feel like you have to have like a better setup for them. Like they need, they love playing with each other. So you need like at least one more, and you shouldn't like <laughs> like make them live there. They were like, uh, coming up on your right, if you'll just look down, you'll have about a one-second window to see the uh, red panda that uh, lives under the monorail. Yeah, no, it's like everyone loves red pandas. They should have played a bigger role. We, um, I feel like it was probably like enrichment day or enrichment time when we went. So like we missed a lot of animals like the, like the gibbons. Like we missed a lot of like... Um, a lot of uh, famous monkeys and apes, but we did. We saw a lot of lemurs, which was great. Everyone should love lemurs. On the monorail, they were like, oh, "I'm sorry today, you'll not be seeing our Siberian tiger, but make sure to go over to Tiger Mountain to see some of our Malaysian tigers before you leave." Went over to Tiger Mountain, 
Tiger Mountain clothes for the day. Bronx Damn, Zoo, you guys got will, totally ripped off. I will be seeking a refund. On, yeah, uh, that's like when I was a kid. Today. We went to Universal Studios and the Jaws ride was broken. That sucks. <laughs> oh, that sucks. That's the whole fucking point of going to Universal Studios. I um, I do want to hold myself accountable for eating too many chips at the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it can happen to you, but then it does. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about um. I have not seen this yet, but apparently everyone is talking about this new this new ad produced by the CIA that is um, quite something. Or it's like they're 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 I wouldn't say they're going in a new direction for the agency, but like it's just sort of the the central intersectional agency is I think um, what they're attempting to to pivot to now. So I have not seen this ad yet, but like uh, let, let, should we watch it now and just let's let's just, let's see if we can take this on. Let's see if I can process this. Uh, I've got a 42-second version and a two-minute version. Do you want the long cut? or let's, the, oh, let's uh, get the, the long cut. Yeah. Okay, okay, let's do right, the whole right, thing. The, the CIA director's cut, the Snyder cut of the CIA ad. <laughs> yes. All right, let me just share this. The Carlucci cut. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here we go. When I was 17, I quoted Zora Neale Hurston's How It Feels to Be Colored Me in my college application essay. The line that spoke to me stated simply... I am not tragically colored. There is no sorrow dammed up in my soul nor lurking behind my eyes. I do not mind at all. At 17, I had no idea what life would bring, but Sora's sentiment articulated so beautifully how I felt as a daughter of immigrants then and now. Nothing about me was or is tragic. I am perfectly made. I can wax eloquent on complex legal issues in English while also belting Guayaquil de mis amores in Spanish. I can change a diaper with one hand and console a crying toddler with the other. I'm a woman of color. I am a mom. Uh, I am a cisgender uh, millennial who's been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I am intersectional, (laughs) but my existence is not a box-checking exercise. I am a walking declaration. A woman whose inflection does not rise... I believe she's walking by a portrait of Alan Jolis right now in this hallway. (laughs) I did not sneak into CIA... My employment was not and is not the result of a fluke or slip through the cracks. Okay, no, there, there was a photo of her shaking hands with Gina Haspel in, in, one, in one, of the, one of the little montages here. I am educated, qualified, and competent. And sometimes I struggle. I struggle feeling like I could do more, be more to my two sons. And I struggle leaving the office when I feel there's so much more to do. I used to struggle with imposter syndrome. <laughs> oh, my God! I used to internalize what? misguided patriarchal <laughs> ideas of what a woman can or should be. I am tired of feeling like I'm supposed to apologize for the space I occupy rather than intoxicate people with my effort, what? my brilliance. I am proud of me, full stop. My parents left everything they knew and loved to expose me to opportunities they never had. Because of them, I stand here today a proud first-generation Latina and officer at CIA. I am unapologetically me. I want you to be unapologetically you, whoever you are. Know your worth. Command your space. That's... Wow. I mean, okay. I gotta say, so... I don't know why people are, like, especially pissed at this one, because it's like... I don't know. I feel like this is hilarious. It's great. Obviously. And it's also like, well, the CIA isn't like, they didn't become more evil by doing this. It's like, they're equally bad, whether it's Angleton or like 
uh, somebody who has to huff in a bag when they get quote tweeted. <laughs> it's still the same thing. It's the same thing. I, yeah, yeah, like people. The same job. Yeah, yeah. People have, get so much like psychic damage from like, you know, reading, reading completely earnestly into like a CIA PR piece, and it's like this one seems pretty easy. Okay, where does the CIA always get its people from? Elite universities. Yep. What do people at elite universities talk like now? That's yeah, it. There you go. That is all of it. It is you got to have a fucking college degree to work for the CIA. And the type of person who goes to college and then works in the public sector has a certain vocabulary that they absorb and that they uh, identify with. And so this is an appeal to them. This is how you get the next generation of uh, college dipshits to fill out your ranks. Is it? Is it? Would it, would it like? Okay, I understand. Like they're using all the the language of these like you know uh, sort of like striving, uh, civically minded uh, lunatics. But like, isn't the main hurdle though the fact that like if you've ever admitted to doing drugs, you can never be a CIA agent? Like, like I remember like the FBI when they were trying to recruit hackers, couldn't find a single person who doesn't smoke weed. Yeah, and then they they just fired some people. Remember the Biden campaign because they said right. yes, I've done weed um, on their fucking applications. Like genius. I, I just want to put a point out. Like uh, just just two things I picked up on in in this commercial is yeah, like uh, she's like it's like the the woman the narrator is like walking down one of the corridors at Langley. Um, past like oil paintings of like the former directors like fucking Richard Helms and fucking and Alan Dulles but the, the, it, she that, walks by like a framed case of William Casey's kayak <laughs> <laughs> but um and then in one of the photos like in this sort of photo montage it's like of, of her you know uh, uh, becoming a case officer or whatever she's right there shaking hands with Gina Haspel like the torture fucking lady like the, the lady who like was the architect of like the CIA's torture program or one of them at least yeah, and then um, so covered good. the whole thing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but speaking of covering things up, I did notice that one of the most repeated bits of pablum and drivel that was that was in this ad is that she kept saying, I will not apologize for who I am. I will not apologize for the space I command. And then she kept saying, I will not apologize, like the guy with smallpox and deadwoods. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. Shut the fuck up. So it's like, yeah, it's just like this is uh, <laughs> the CIA is not going to apologize for being intersectional or any of the coups and torture that they've done. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. It's it, it works at both ends of it. If you're if you're ambivalent about joining the CIA, this gives you reason. It, it it's like you don't have to apologize for working for the CIA because they're pursuing good goals, which include employing you and giving you something to do. <laughs> yeah, which is yeah, the same yeah. thing as social <laughs> yeah. justice because if it's totally individualized, if there's nothing, if everybody is really out for themselves because we live in a racist patriarchy that doesn't allow for anything other, then your advancement as a someone who's oppressed is, uh, is progressive and it makes the organization progressive. Yeah, yeah. No, this is... I mean, I would love to think that the CIA is now populated by just, like, the most fail-brained millennials yes. who, like, just can't fucking process anything, uh, are just debilitated by any number of anxieties and uh, depressive maladies. But, but it, it I, I don't know. It, I, you I, said, I feel Felix, like they're able make to the steal agency. themselves. But as you said, even if that were true, Felix, it wouldn't make the agency like any less like evil or effective at what they do. Like, cause, like the the individual personalities, the people working at it, kind of don't matter. They're no, part, yeah, they're part. They're part of the the Borg now. I mean, they're part of a system and an institution that has prerogatives that are like above and th th that exist independently of the people who staff it. Right. I 
think your takeaway from this, like, if any, should just be like, oh, it's the same thing, but this is this is funny. Like, they're not. I just fail to see how they're more evil doing this. Like, yeah, of course, yeah, of course, they're like using this like sort of uh, bullshit academic language. Okay. Well, I think that's the thing is for a lot of people, this academic language means a lot to them. And they think that yeah. it is definitionally what it is to be a radical or a socialist or a leftist, whatever thing they, they value as their uh, political self-identification. And then seeing it in the mouths of the CIA cheapens it. And so that is why they're so horrified by it and have to like extra condemn it because they're uncomfortable seeing, oh no, the, this stuff can be used by uh, the fucking CIA. Uh, that's not fair. You're cheating or something like that. I will even go farther. Like if you, if you're like into that type of presentation, the like uh, spaces and stuff, like, I don't know, you know, keep doing that. Don't get down on yourself. If you really like it. Like, it's like, yeah, everyone's going to co-opt everything. I don't, I don't, I don't care about it, but like, hey, you know, I don't, I don't stop looking at paintings because George Bush likes them. You know, I look at paintings every day. <laughs> <laughs> another, but, but another, I mean, like, yeah, no, I, 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 I thought the amount of psychic damage caused by it. I mean, a people got to get outside. B you got to jack off before you start posting every day. <laughs> that is for sure. Another interesting uh, uh, thing I picked up on in, in, in the ad was the invocation of imposter syndrome, which I think is funny because, like, the his, given the CIA's history of literally creating duplicate human beings to, like, <laughs> to, to sort of, like, reverse engineer narratives, you know, like the two Oswalds, the two George H.W. Bushes. I mean, like, it's a common tradecraft thing of having these doubles exist everywhere. So I just love the idea of, like, imposter syndrome being fit into, like, a... A, a sort of tradecraft that involves the creation of actual imposters and duplicates. <laughs> yeah, I guess that you know MK Ultra was a mass gaslighting. <laughs> I mean, literally. The 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 the, the, uh, the taking up of spaces thing is hilarious because it's like yeah, you said like, command spaces. Or command I will not spaces. apologize for commanding spaces. Yeah, but it's like <laughs> it's like. Yeah, didn't Mossadegh exist in a space? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Isn't Patrice Lumumba trying to be in a space? Well, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 um, for me, I would put the entire CIA video in like my, uh, my Monday laughs column <laughs> that I write for USA Today. <laughs> but it, it did, it caused a lot of anguish with people. Yes. And hey, as, as long as it's got people talking, you know, hey, yeah. that's that's what it's all there for. Yeah, like, they, that's why even if this is just about mostly, honestly, about recruiting college kids, uh, it's also a psyop because everything the CIA does is by definition a psyop. It's great. Yeah. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. All right. Well, let's. Uh, why don't we talk about um, another area, another another institution of American life who is uh, also having trouble hiring people. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about um, uh, service industry restaurants and sort of local bar and grills. Um, I'm just uh, reading here. This is a business in insider uh, says here, as labor shortage is forcing chains like Subway and Dunkin' to cut hours, close dining rooms, and push employees to work harder than ever. It says here, fast food chains are keeping dining rooms closed and cutting hours due to a lack of workers. Some employees who have been hired are working extra hours, resulting in more mistakes and burnout. Quote, everyone is struggling to keep stores open from lack of staff, said a Subway franchise. 
So, I mean, what's going on here? And like, and, and then this is filtering down from like, you know, giant national chains like Subway and Duncan to, yeah, like the, the locally owned bar and grill and the, the, the owners of these restaurants, which are like, you know, like, like small res- like restaurants, like family owned restaurants are like the, the, those people are like the, like the cardinals, the archdukes of small business tyrant to tyranny. Like the, the, that, that is like the small business tyrant mindset is the local bar and grill owner and the way they treat their employees. Mm-hmm. But like what they're, they're very tight right now because of COVID, obviously um, their labor pool has received a stimulus check and unemployment benefits from the government, a stimulus check and unemployment benefits while COVID is going on. And they're complaining about the fact that for they're having this labor shortage because they're finding that many of the people that they would normally be hiring to do like, you know, a job for like $11, $12 an hour are simply finding that they are getting by just as good, if not better, being on unemployment than working a job at, you know, uh, Shooter's Bar and Grill. So um, to that end, there's an article here um, from The Dispatch. Uh, it's titled, uh, We Just Can't Do This Anymore. Business owners who want to hire workers are finding it impossible to compete with the pandemic relief packages enhanced unemployment payments. This is from uh, Waterville, Ohio. Uh, it says here on Waterhead, a- Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> on, on a typical pre-pandemic Monday morning, Dale's Diner would be buzzing just down the hall from Hall of Framers and next to the local I hardware get it. store. <laughs> 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 next to the local hardware store at the heart of this two-block downtown, Dale's is a much younger sibling to Dale's Bar and Grill, founded in 1926. Still, the diner has become a community institution in the 10 years it's been around. The local history society meets here. The high school football team often comes for a big meal before games. A big meal before games? That doesn't seem right. I guess carbo-loading? I don't know. I never really did sports. I like, yeah, I don't know. Um, the local... Uh, 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 on this Monday, however, one day after Easter, Dale's is empty other than the couple who owns it and the journalist who is curious about why they announced its closing two days earlier. As we chat, a steady stream of would-be customers who hadn't heard the news paused to read the announcement on green paper posted on the front door and windows facing the street. Each visitor met with an ap- apologetic shoulder shrug from Liz. Over the past year, Dale's struggled through the pandemic, completely closing for two months before Ohio allowed for limited capacity indoor dining in late May, shedding about 25% of its overall revenue, a a loss that left it profitless, even with the help of two cash infusions from the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, Unemployment benefits extended and elevated through the pandemic are keeping would-be applicants away. The $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan passed by Congress extended the $300 federal payments to unemployed workers through September 2021. The calculation is simple. Many low and unskilled workers can make as much money not working as they could with a job, sometimes more. So they stay home. So, uh... I mean, like, I, I, it's just so we're, there's, there's a labor shortage because employers are finding out that they're just not pay, spending, they're not paying their fucking staff enough money to do these these jobs. You should, I don't understand. You should want to get out of your gaming chair and for just for your own virtue, you should want to go and get yelled at by Bud Court from Heat all day. <laughs> <laughs> when you could be staying home. That's, that's what human virtue is, is because work is virtue. Yeah, this uh, is, so I've enjoyed this one because it's like, well, A, it seems like people finally like hit their breaking points with these jobs. These jobs systematically keep people in a And they have the ability position. to do so because they have some money. That they can right. they can they have an alternative to being compelled to fucking work there. You think about how uh these companies treat these jobs and it's like everyone's kept in a part time position so they don't have to meet certain obligations to them. They're underpaid, they're for they're 
forced to work at a moment's notice for very shit pay. And uh, the way that they, the way that they tried to dress it up after having them do the exact same shit during the pandemic, making them be the only people who have to go to work to have to wear a fucking mask for, you know, eight hours on their fucking feet was to call them heroes and then really do nothing further. And it's like, this is exactly what these companies deserve for this. But it has been funny because, you know, for the last two years, you've had these like Republicans (laughs) who write these books that are like, you know, uh, grand worker party, the populist future of the GOP. And it's like they have instantly folded. Because it's taken them more than five minutes to get a Dairy Queen treat. Yeah, they now want they want like they want like Great Lakes pillheads to be impressed into servitude. Yeah, we gotta create a we gotta create a corvée labor system, going door to door to get people to fucking work the friolator. Yeah, they yeah you, they you pass I mean, out a joke, but like they might make this into like prison labor soon. Yeah, like every day when the doors open, the fucking bus from the uh, the jail shows up. No man, no, I you know it will be like get like like the gang press system where it's like yeah you're you're in Ohio you pass out at your friend's house you stink you, the friend who you think stole your headphones you wake up and you're shackled to like you are now an HMS His, his Majesty's Fuddruckers and you're, and you're chained to the friolator uh, over over the you know at, under the cruel overseer like you know Captain Bly or something like that. But uh, you speak about like the Republicans and, the, and their attitude on this. The, uh, uh, look look who shows up giving a quote in this piece. We wanted people to stay on unemployment rolls and stay home, says Michael Strain, director of Ooh, economic policy real studies. Real strain at, hours. And Arthur F. Burns, scholar in political economy at the American Enterprise Institute. But why would we want to, with the pandemic receding, vaccinations increasing, the economy opening, do the same thing? This is Michael Strain, who you may remember from such articles as Call Me Mr., I Insist. An article he wrote for the Washington Post demanding that everyone refer to him as Mr. Strain rather than Mike or Michael, especially young people. It's cool that um, like if you spend enough time in a think tank, the Washington Post will let you write your like DDLG fantasy in the op-ed section. <laughs> I like the na- I love the names of some of these restaurants here. It says uh, Paul Ruiz, owner of Where You At Seafood, <laughs> just across the inlet. And he goes, uh, uh, he's going to... Uh, like the business owners in Ohio, Ruiz and uh, Rudsky say the generous government benefits are the primary impediments to hiring. You can't incentivize people not to work, says Ruiz, a longtime Air Force veteran. You need to have incentives to get people to work, not to stay at home. You've got the hard workers who want to have a job, but the others need that motivation. And by others, he means like the vast majority of every normal yeah, person the shirkers. alive. <laughs> yeah. It's like under propagandized, basically. Well, people always overestimate individual cash payouts from the government. They're not like disability payments. Most of this stuff is like really not enough for most people to live on. But obviously people think it's more than it is. But, uh, you know, even if everyone was getting six, five hundred, six hundred dollars a week, which they're not, um, I mean, these are always the people who like demand everyone learn what economics is, and it's like, well, if there's a labor short, if you can't, if yeah, no, it's interesting how that works. Demand <laughs> cannot, if you supply and demand of labor is not intersecting, what are you doing wrong here? No, it's someone else's fault. 
Yeah, no, I mean, like, uh, it, it, like left unsaid in all of this is is the idea that like they could staff these jobs if they paid more, but then like these people tell you if I paid more, then I couldn't keep my business open, meaning me as a business owner couldn't profit from running where you at seafood. <laughs> I yeah. mean, to which I say, I don't know, have have a better business. What, I mean, what do you want from me here? Yeah, I mean, it's like, not look, a human like, right to own a restaurant. Yeah, like, uh, you know, yeah, and, and exactly. And like what these people are demanding is that the government create, quote, incentives to get people to Shanghai people back into the fucking, you know, uh, busboy yeah. jobs. And the, their they're... preferred incentive is just the market, which we can pretend is some uh, some totally neutral force. Hey, that's the market rate. Sorry, that's what you get. But when you do something like raise the amount people get in uh, uh, from the dole or whatever, it changes their equation, and you realize how much of that really is up to us. How much people feel compelled to exactly. work is up to us. It's not just the fucking market. We, have, we can turn the knobs and make jobs more or less remunerative and more or less exploitative. Yeah. One thing I hope, uh, you know, 50 years from now, is that we are able to look back on how we treated service jobs and people in those positions and be amazed that people in our time treated them the way that we do for so long. But uh, I, I, it makes me hope now that there's so much trouble filling these jobs that maybe more people will recognize how terrible these jobs are to have, how much they wear on the lives of those who have to do them. I mean, and also especially that like restaurant worker is one of the highest risk um, jobs you can have for terms of like contracting COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, well, one last quote here. This is a representative Mike Gallagher, Republican from Northeast Wisconsin, says that while the problems aren't new, they're becoming more urgent. I can tell you this. The single most consistent thing I have heard from Wisconsin businesses of any size, small, medium, large in any industry, ag, manufacturing, tech, for my entire five years in politics is this. Our biggest problem is finding workers. We cannot find workers with the basic skills who can pass a drug test and who are willing to show up to work. And I, I, I love it. Like, okay, who can pass a drug test? Like, oh, what? You need to have clean piss to fucking like yeah. mop the floors what or whatever. Shit? It's like, it's another thing if they won't submit to my system of control. What the fuck? Exactly. And then like, and then who don't, who aren't willing to show up to work. And it's just like, like you don't think, you don't think employers are part of that equation in terms of like what, what people are willing to endure yeah. or people who <laughs> might, who might just willing to make the rational decision that I would prefer to be, you know, desperately precarious and impoverished rather than having to submit myself to the, to make not that much money or certainly not enough money that would make a difference in your life to the, you know, yeah, like to the, the whims of fucking Mike Gallagher and the shitheads who fucking piss in his ear moaning that they can't find enough workers to do the awful jobs at their shitty businesses. And the, and that, that the insistence is, is because this is a low skilled job, it, it should have a low wage, but in a system where we can control like how miserable work is, you got to consider that the big misery of service industry work and food industry work more than anything is dealing with fucking customers. And there needs to be a fucking premium on that for anybody to want to do that shit because that is where everybody gets to be a petty fucking dictator. Yep. When yeah. they're goddamn, there's no pickles on their fucking McYummyburg. I mean, yeah. when, I, when, I, when I had a job working uh, like customer service and like very early on in it, I was sort of like dumbfounded by how angry people were and just like the, the abuse that they would just heap on you because the uh, $5 trinket manufactured in China that they ordered like next day shipping arrived broken. 
And it's just like, like, like what, 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 what involvement do you think I have in this fucking process? But what he said to me always stuck with me. He says that he said that Will, uh, like, un- under under capitalism, consumerism is like what we give people to vent their rage. Yeah. It's like the only mm-hmm. acceptable way that like the people are allowed to like be angry and exert power over other people. Yeah, like, and that's it was like once. Once you're on the hook, no matter how fucking trivial the transaction is, the person at like the point of service is subordinate to you, no matter who you are. And that's one of the big reasons that 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 um, consumerism is one of the big uh, dissolvers, social solvents of uh, class solidarity, is because it gives everybody a taste of being the boss. And in a world where you don't really see a lot of options for advancement, just that that little vacation of power, uh, it's seductive and it alienates you from people who have to do those jobs and you start creating ideas in your head about why they have it coming. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a, bipartisan, it's a bipartisan system too because like, yeah, for generally how it's been for a while is for more right-leaning people, the workers, the person you scream at, take out all your rage on, you get to be a boss. That's part of the perk of going to a restaurant or whatever. Uh, for more liberal-aligned people, what it's been traditionally and they'll get into the other thing a lot but uh is that they're totally invisible you get to work in your mind a job that like a real person has you're a uh fucking creative director or whatever bullshit you're a graphic designer the knowledge economy right and you you don't have to go to work in an office uh during covid you have basically enough to get the creature comforts and little trinkets that demarcate you as a real person. But everyone who's like doing your grocery shopping or working at your restaurant, they're just not a real person. Even if you're Uber driver, they're right in front of you. That's not, they're an invisible person. You just choose to block them out. Like you do. If you live in San Francisco or New York and you just see rows and seas and seas of miserable suffering people who are homeless but um, they found a way to add the first thing to the uh, more liberal interpretation of it where, like, you can fucking complain about your the guy who does your grocery shopping. Well, yeah, for, that, that, the, the mail like, Instacart shoppers thread is the perfect yeah. example of that. It was like, well, I've seen who... that. It's not just that thread. I've seen that multiple times about, like, how bad mail Instacart shoppers are. And it's like. <laughs> you have a servant <laughs> whether you want to admit this or not like that's what this is that's the number one that's number one appeal of the entire uh that entire sector of the economy now to people is, is delivery drivers and shit is that you get to have a servant without having a servant exactly you get to have the there's no personal relationship yeah. without the anxiety the social guilt of directly employing somebody in that kind of intimate setting so you get to treat them even though they're your fucking servant, as actually no, he's a he's a mayo boy who's messing up my uh, my fucking uh, order because of his toxic masculinity. Uh, what I'm sorry, we need to teach men how to listen. Fuseli pasta is not the same as macaroni pasta. Okay, I saw someone say, uh, "Train your staff." Like, what the fuck do you think this app is, lady? There's not there's staff. no staff. That's the whole point. <laughs> there's no training. There sure shit is not any fucking training. They just say, hey, do you have a phone that can download this app? Okay, if you can get to this place and pick up these things in the next 20 minutes, you get five bucks. And then they go and run and do it. That's it. It's just dangling a fucking uh, bill in front of somebody's face. 
And you know, like, like you know, if you if you if you, ha- if you do get groceries on on the internet or get shit delivered to you, especially during COVID, it's just like, look, I'm not trying to like rake you over the coals for that either. But like, it, it's just like, especially now under COVID, like, don't you feel a little bit guilty? And if it doesn't come to you like exactly as you specified or like wanted it to, can't you just like just let it go? Yeah, and still no. tip generously. Like, I mean, like, just like an acknowledgement of like just like how <laughs> how your own sloth is being indulged by like the convenience of like the, these apps and things like that. Yeah, when I um I like really hurt my back in January and I used these a couple of times and it's like yeah, I guess sometimes like they like one or two things wasn't there, but it's like when you go to a grocery store, they don't often have they don't always have every single thing you want to like it's it's not this person if your brain automatically goes to like this person fucking up like i don't know what to tell you and it's also it's like yeah no this <laughs> but this i mean like this is not the, a company with employees really but doesn't know? this kind of tie back to like the the central intersectional agency ad that we just saw where it just sort of like oh the problem is not this like you know <laughs> horrendous system of like like matt said like you know servitude and like sort of digital serfdom that you know you're able to take advantage of and as matt said you have the have the convenience of having a servant with none of the guilt of like the personal relationship of like an upstairs downstairs sort of uh social you don't have to worry about longing glances through uh, window (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly but like but now your your anger at like um uh, your your servants being like restive or undisciplined can be communicated in the sense of like men just don't listen to women yeah. or like if you're a CIA agent you can command spaces and uh, control bodies shall we say um, but you're doing it because you know uh, you'll never feel like an imposter again because the agencies like also read uh, you know Langston Hughes and, and it's Neil empowered Hurston. you it empowered yeah. you to live your truth well uh, there we go um, I think we should uh transition now over to our guest interview for the day another 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 chock full episode for you okay now we're uh zach copland everybody okay uh joining me now is journalist zach copland to talk about um a piece of investigative reporting he did about corruption in Afghan mining contracts. And uh, Zach, I want to begin with, you know, when, when we ponder the last, you know, uh, 20 plus years of the war on terror and the motivations for why America fought these wars or continues to fight them, uh, oil is often brought up as a reason and a motivation for like, you know, no blood for oil and things of that nature. But as Afghanistan now officially winds down our America's official military involvement, what are people missing about Afghanistan? And people point to that as like, oh, well, that's a country that doesn't have oil. Why was America there for 20 plus years occupying that country? Yeah. So Afghanistan traditionally was associated with um, heroin production. But um, during actually the Soviet invasion, um, they had the Soviets had done an incredible job mapping mining deposits um, in Afghanistan that weren't really used. They had identified what were theoretically trillions of dollars of minerals. Um, so in about 2009, 2010, there was this Pentagon group. It was a little bit weird. Um, it was called the Task Force for Business and Stability Operations. And it was kind of like a, it was a little pet project of David Petraeus's. And in Afghanistan, they hired a Russian speaker 
who basically went through all of the old Soviet maps and then they went and confirmed them with their teams and realized there was potentially there was the, the low end estimates are a trillion dollars of minerals in the ground in Afghanistan. High end is upwards of three trillion dollars. And that's gold, copper, lithium, which is again, if you're going to talk about electric cars, um, you need lithium, chromite, which is made for stainless steel, which is what I've been looking at, and precious gems. Really, there's a ton under the ground there. And so that is that has been a motivation for large American firms in the last decade, um, and American politicians, including Trump, um, was very interested in Afghan minerals. So there's this, yeah, this... Um uh, this Defense Department group, the, the was it the Task Force for Business and Stability Operations? Yep. Okay. So, like, what, what was their sort of what was their what was their remit to like their remit to like operate in Afghanistan? What was their goal? What were they trying to do? And what did they accomplish? So, theoretically, they were supposed to create jobs, and they were operating in Afghanistan and Iraq. And actually, you'll find it funny. <laughs> Pete Buttigieg worked for them at this time. Uh, but <laughs> was that why he was in Afghanistan for like the month or whatever that he spent in country? Fear, we don't. So he hasn't ever said. But it, if I had to take a wild guess, because there's been the little tidbits, like he had that map of Afghanistan. Yeah, minerals, sure. That, he that's said a profile kind of, of him that said it, like in yeah. his living room or his study. He had this huge, yeah. like very detailed map and, about Afghan's mineral yeah. resources. And he said a few little things that kind of hint that he was involved with the natural resources team. So presumably, um, <laughs> but we don't. I mean, again, it, basically this group. This group was kind of – they were all wild cards. So basically the Pentagon went and hired a bunch of business people to like promote Afghan cashmere and like to promote mines and to they to go look for a little bit of oil. Um, and they, they kind of uh, – at, at the beginning, they did what they wanted. Um, and actually the minerals group was especially interesting because they seemed to think of themselves as special forces. Um, so the, the person – there's this woman – uh, her name is Emily Scott King, and then she met her husband over there, this guy Mark King. Um, they got married, and he he's like an ex. He was like a special forces reservist, and they were actually like living on a special forces base inappropriately. They apparently, according to some of my sources, had like unregistered weapons, and were kind of the way they saw themselves, at least according to my sources, were like doing special operations missions. Married um, to so minerals. Yes, very little oversight, and and this kind of culminated in their. Their premier project was out in, um, in Kunar province in Afghanistan where they were hanging with some, some of the special forces team said, hey, uh, we've got these buddies, this guy uh, Muhammad and his deputy Farhad who run what's called the, lo- the Afghan local police, which is basically a militia group, um, pro-government militia. And they've been buying all these minerals and they'd really love to sell them, but they need to crush them first. Um, so – these guys brought in, they spent $3.8 million and brought in a mineral crusher onto a NATO base where they were, the, the they U.S. Were, military. They were processing ore with $3.8 million in mining equipment on a NATO base. And it was like they, were, they gave this mining equipment to essentially local warlords so that they yes. could not just take chromite out of the ground, but they could process it into a product that would come to market at a much higher value than just the raw yes. like material, right? Uh, and it's actually more absurd. Um, <laughs> right after I published my piece, someone sent me a Twitter post by an ex-Special Forces guy who was reminiscing on his time in Kunar, where he was talking about bringing the same task force team out to one of these mines, which was Taliban-controlled. Um, and apparently the Taliban were, they were mining because they didn't have mining equipment. So they were shooting artillery at the rocks, which you get about 50% breaks up in a portion and go bring your crusher. 
The other fifty percent aerosolized. Yeah, they need, they need they need better loss prevention if that's yeah. the way they're mining. Well, but um, man, you bring that up though. But there's a serious carcinogen. Oh wow. Like, <laughs> okay. So not great. Really bad. <laughs> Well, so uh, there's, a, there's, there's a very funny phrase that keeps turning up um, in, in, in your article here, and it's artisanal mining, which is mm-hmm. a phrase that I've never heard. It just it, it, it yeah. lands funny because like, like those two words, yeah. you don't normally associate them. But what does artisanal mining mean and involve? Yeah. So, yeah. And so this is funny to me, too. It's actually a trade term. But when I write it, I'm like, it's a little bit weird. Um, basically, it's stuff that's not done by a big like a real process. So the the. The artillery mining is an example of this, or mining basically a guy with a pickaxe and some dynamite um, who doesn't have a company, who doesn't have safety equipment, who doesn't have a license, which is the big thing. The government in Afghanistan is supposed to register all the different mines and take tax income and make sure it's not going to the Taliban, stuff like that, right? Um, But because it's really – there's not much actual government oversight in Afghanistan and people are just trying to make a little bit of cash, there's lots of guys who are going out literally – with with some dynamite and getting some minerals um and they might have to pay off the local warlords um or they might just be poisoning the local streams i mean there's all sorts of bad things that can happen or they might be using child labor um and all those things kind of are risks of artisanal mining which is just against the local mining and okay like and and this also gets complicated because these are like uh, government-backed militias who are yeah. doing the, this mining and been given the mining equipment. But according to Afghan law, it is illegal for anyone associated with the government to have a mining contract. Yes. Correct. So like, but that correct. was not, that was not the case in, in, in this yeah. matter, as you might imagine. Yeah, no, they, they and they were, and they were buying, again, they were buying from who knows where, um, likely Taliban mines. And just, it, because again, these, these things, the little secret of war also is that all the stated public enemies are still quietly doing business with each other. Um, <laughs> whether you're talking Iraq with different Iranian-backed militias or Afghanistan with the Taliban, they're all, they're, people are buying, people, all, all, at the commander level, everyone kind of has lines of communication open, um, especially on the business side. Well, because, I mean, but, it's like a huge country and, like, vast swaths of it are completely, like, yeah. under the control of the Taliban, but, like, if yeah. the minerals are there or opium yeah. to be processed into heroin, yeah. like, like you mentioned, another very important, expensive resource there, yeah. you got to buy it from someone to get it to market, yes. right? And the people you're buying it from are the ones you're officially at war with. But how did like, so how does the president of Afghanistan and his brother factor into this? So like you mentioned, that mining project that um, was done by these, this task force and the special forces guys, it got busted up in 2013 because it was illegal. Um, But the people behind it didn't give up. So um, the woman I mentioned, Emily Scott King, her husband and some other of the special forces guys, um, they all ended up in the private sector. And they, they're part of this comp- they're, they're part of a consultancy called Global Venture. And Global Venture was then hired by a military contractor called SOS International. And this company is basically, I view it as a cutout for uh, General Petraeus' office. Um, it's got a bunch of his former deputies on board. And as well, it, it's kind of an upstart military contractor, but it's very well connected um, in the military contracting world and making a ton of money. And they brought this plan that they had to crush minerals to this company, SOS International, or they go by SOSI. Um, and the problem was, again, it's all illegal. So how do you fix that? Um, another special forces guy had an idea. He wrote actually a whole thesis 
that we found on, um, his name was Ryan Hartwick. He wrote a thesis about how special forces should be involved in Afghan mining um, and how to do it right. And he suggested, well, you got to give some sort of benefit to the political leaders. And that appears to be what uh, Sosi did. Uh, it took two years, but we found a variety of evidence. And the key piece, and this is the really hard part, um, they, they, they incorporated their business deal in the United Arab Emirates, which is a very secretive business uh, country. They have lots of tax havens and secrecy jurisdictions. And of course, so they hid the ownership of their company in there. Um, but we found, we managed to pull a document out of there um, that showed that the brother of the Afghan president had 20% of the company that these guys were working on this mining project with. Um, and then at the end of 2019, this connection appears to have come through. The, uh, the Afghan president signed off on two specific special rights um, for this military contractor, Sosi. They are allowed to purchase minerals that were locally mined in um, six Afghan provinces, including Kunar, the one that this whole thing started in. And they're also allowed to buy over 20,000 tons of chromite um, that had been locally mined that somehow, I guess through a confiscation maybe, the government had in its possession. So the, these rights, again, they're not legal under Afghan law. This is all done extra legally. Um, and it is benefiting the president's brother, which, again, violates, at least for the uh, companies, American law and probably Afghan law. Um, well, I mean, it wouldn't be a story about international corruption and resource extraction if there weren't also fail sons and fail nephews involved in this corruption. Because you have here uh, Sultan Ghani, who is the president's nephew, who got a whole bunch mm -hmm. of like, wait, like and, and some other fail. So they, they got like make work jobs in DC think tanks and shit like yeah. that, the same way everyone else does. Yeah. So the president's nephew actually worked for Sosi. Um, the funny thing about him, I heard he um, went by uh, G Money in high school. G Money. Um, yeah, <laughs> okay. G Money. That was one of the little the little things I picked up when working on this. But uh, he he worked for about two months for Sosi, and I and that was actually how I originally got tipped off as a Sosi employee. Told me, hey. Because I've been asking about Iraq, and they said, you know, we're also Sosi is corrupt in Iraq, by the way. Um, so they said, you know, by the way, the president of Afghanistan's nephew worked for us. And I was like, what? Um, and so it basically they said this was likely part of um, making the deal was that not only are you cutting him in, we'll give your, your son an internship um, just to sweeten things up so he gets something on his resume. That, that was what the speculation was at, um, at Sosi. Speaking of destroying Iraq, you, you mentioned that Paul Wolfowitz is also on the, the board of Sosi yes. as well. I mean, um, and like, he's probably the biggest name. So, I mean, like, so if, if Sosi is, is, a, is a cutout for the Department of Defense, and, like, and, and you quote mm -hmm. people in the article who say that like, it's an open secret that Sosi is just yeah. like, a, like shorthand for the Pentagon or the DOD. Yeah. Um, like, but like, so like, like from, from their perspective, I mean, they see the running on the wall. Like they, they know they're headed for the exit. Like how is, is Sosi and like all the money associated with mining a way for them to continue to make money off of this or a way to continue like what would otherwise be their policy had they not had to officially leave the country? I think so. so this, I, I, I kind of want to go in two directions in this. The short answer on mining specifically is mining is kind of what's called a J-curve industry. So you start off really slow where you're losing money. Um, where you're building the factories, where you're getting, you're figuring out where the minerals are, and then suddenly you make a ton of money, and that's kind of the end of the J. Um, so theoretically, they could be making in a couple years, they might be making bank off this. Now, um, the other answer to this actually is going to go to Iraq because I've done a bunch of work on Sosi in Iraq, 
and they they have a history of essentially not only making money on the public side but on the private side, um, where they were um, they they basically made a deal with a former president of Iraq, uh, Nouri al Maliki, who of course was propped up by the U.S. government, and the CIA, and actually Joe Biden personally, um, and was largely responsible for uh, the fall of northern Iraq to ISIS through his kind of sectarian violence and death squads. Uh, but anyway, so they made a deal with him where they got control of one of the largest military bases in um, Iraq. It was called Camp Taji, and they, they were only kicked out last year after almost a, close to a decade. And they had, they had a memo from the prime minister that said only Sosi can access this base. It's their land. And so every other company that wanted – access that base had to pay Sosi and Sosi essentially was running a hotel. Um, and because of that, it appears they actually got very invested in, um, other kind of commercial businesses. They actually, there's, there's stories about them running, not just the base as a hotel, but actually a large hotel in Baghdad. And now they've, they've kind of, they were apparently printing money, like hundreds of millions of dollars through these businesses and have been trying to diversify into various other uh, cybersecurity intelligence fields also. So it's, it's kind of become a monster. You quote um, an anti-corruption expert in your piece who says, intelligence and special forces do what it takes to achieve their mission. Their military mission may have ended, but these guys may have thought they could make a ton of money and advance our national security at the same time. I mean, making a ton of money, I mean, like that, that's obvious what's going on here, but like, how do they, got, how do they see this as advancing our national security? when they're, you know, essentially buying chromite from Taliban-controlled artisanal mines. So this, I'm going to go back to this woman, Emily Scott King, because she did a fairly, she did an interview for a, um, a conference on special forces in 2019 that was fairly uh, revealing. She said basically that um, this is a way to reintegrate the Taliban into Afghan society by mining where basically you can have local commanders running mines and processing centers in their chain of command the way they're used to. And this can be used to, to kind of create peace. Um, it, was, it was kind of the original idea of the task force in the first place, which is we end the war by getting buy-in um, from all the people who are fighting into making money instead of fighting, or at least p- pinch off some of their support. That, that's the theory behind all of this. And uh, I mean, I guess like, and, and there's this larger idea of like, okay, so like, Joe Biden says, like, the, Afghan war, the Afghanistan war is officially over. The U.S. military mm-hmm. is pulling out. But, like, as with all these things, if you read the fine print, it makes clear yep. that, like, certain operational functioning and, and cert, like, certain aspects of what would be done by the U.S. military is, in some small way, going to still be handled by military contractors. Yeah. And, it's like, and is that what we're talking about here is, like, ensuring that the, these minerals come to market and that, like, are being sold to, I assume... Western and American corporations? So in terms of where it's being sold, we've heard rumors of Canada. Um, we, and there, there seems to be some evidence of that. Presumably it's also going to China through Pakistan because that's a big market for chromite. Um, in terms of staying in Afghanistan, though, that's, it's an interesting question because what will likely happen is we'll kind of see the Iraq model, where in Iraq um, you have bases that are the, the contracts are facilitated by the local government. So in Iraq, it's by the Iraqi government, where they pick out a contractor and they theoretically give the U.S. some money to handle it. And the U.S. the U.S. will do all the contracting side of it and send 
send in people to be guards, to do laundry, to be janitors, to supply the oil, all that kind of stuff, or the, the fuel for like the fighter jets. Um, and that, that will all be handled by, for the most part, American companies um, for the Afghan, or for in that case, the Iraqi military, and presumably it will continue happening in Afghanistan, even with the pull out of the U.S., and we know there's going to be an interest because there will be unacknowledged special forces in Afghanistan. We're pulling out the conventional occupation, but the U.S. is still going to have drone bases and kind of hunter-killer teams that are operating there, presumably. And they're going to need some sort of support. And again, we don't – I mean if you're, if you're an American politician, right, it sucks when you have to say soldiers are dying. It's pretty easy to brush away a contractor dying. Um, and so it lets them avoid accountability. And this is, I'm, I'm afraid it's transitioning to that kind of status quo, another, another full on shadow war, uh, which is the easiest thing for a politician. I mean, you, uh, like you, you mentioned her before, but like sort of a main, a main character in this piece is this woman, Emily Scott King. And like, how, how do you find her to be like a, an example of like the way she sees herself as sort of almost a, I don't know, like a, like a cowboy or sort of a Lawrence of Arabia style figure. It seems like that. I mean, she calls herself a mining futurist. And what I'd heard from her colleagues, basically, that she rose um, very fast so that she was, for example, briefing Petraeus and um, was kind of basically she was put in charge of all the mining um, by this task force. And it, it does it does seem like they decided that they really like what they were. Again, it's they were doing good and they're making money as they saw it. Right. And so why stop when this task force gets shut down? Why not get the Afghan president on board? And it's, it's impressive. I mean, her Rolodex is very clearly large and you have to ask, how did she get that? Okay. So, and then, okay. So what is Southern development? Like, is that, that's another one of these like, sort of umbrella yeah. companies involved in like the, yeah. the, the mining industry in Afghanistan. Yeah. So Southern Development, or it also went by Sodevco, was the subsidiary that was used as a cutout for this project um, by this military contractor, Sosi. They, um, it was originally owned by the Afghan president's brother. Um, we found archival documents back to 2005 showing that. But sometime around 2013, and this is kind of funny, the Afghan president today and his brother ran in the same election um, for president. And around that time, the brother's name was stripped from this company, and it just kind of went dark. Um, the public records in Afghanistan only show Sosi today. Um, and I was told basically it was removed to avoid causing any embarrassment due to the politics. But it, again, the, the uh, documents we found in the United Arab Emirates show that the brother still owns 20%. How did, you, how did you get onto this story to begin with? I mean, you mentioned briefly it was like you were looking into Iraq at the time. But like, what does yeah. this story say to you like, overall about the 20-plus like, years of the American military's occupation of Afghanistan? I mean, so getting on the story... Um, it's, it's really, it is the broader point for me, which is like, and I know I'm talking to an audience that thinks war is a scam, but, uh, this is, it's really worse than you can even know. Um, which is, it's like I said, every, like at at the, at the command level, it's entirely driven by money. And you you can talk about the individual grunts, the troops on each side who are, might be driven by ideology, but the leadership is all cashing out. So you've got, um, for example, all the, like all these military contractors are filled with three-star and four-star generals who've had to negotiate with different politicians in these countries and different militia leaders. And they get out, they sign up with a military contractor and they call up their old contacts and say, Hey, can you cut me a deal on transporting fuel through Iraq or Afghanistan? Right. 
and you get 50%, I get 50%, and the militias don't attack us. Um, and of course, you're enriching the same people you're fighting who then, at, again, at the commander level, have a motivation to continue fighting. I mean, like I, I know stories about people who are importing Humvees in Iraq um, about this company out of southern Iraq, and they all the Humvees were getting all, – all their trucks were getting blown up until they hired the local militia. And then the militia delivered all the Humvees, and they never got blown up until the next day when they were under the control of the military. And then that creates more demand for another delivery and another delivery. And eventually the, the, the militia leader who, um, who was doing the transport retired to Dubai with the American – the ex-military guys from the US who also made a ton of money. And now they're all drinking buddies despite being on opposite sides of the war. And they all got massively rich. So I mean, yeah, like this is the classic war is a racket thing, right? Yes. Like if for, for every, like I mean, if, you know, aside from the, most of the people dying in it, like it's just yeah. everyone on both sides are just they're getting paid because they're like, look, we have the skills, we're here, like no one else yeah. is doing this job, like I might as well, you know, you know, sort of just feather my nest for when I get yeah. out of the military, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you'd bankrupt Dick Cheney if you hadn't if we hadn't relied on military contractors. So, but like, yeah, I mean, I guess like, I mean, looking to the future as like this war officially winds mm-hmm. down and like how, you know, the war on terrorism is sort of faded from the American consciousness, but like our military is very much engaged in like all, all over the world. It like, yeah, just like in terms of how, like how contracting has become part of the American way of making mm-hmm. war and like the path of yeah. Pentagon functions. Yeah, no, it's, it, it really has. And it's, it's, it's just an easy way for the U.S. to avoid account. I mean, America, A, likes capitalism, B, we like war profiteering, and C, our politicians don't like actually taking responsibility for things. And <laughs> military contractors provide all those things. But I mean, and, but like, and it also provides a yeah. way for essentially the function of a war to continue, mm-hmm. i.e. Yeah. like lining everyone's pockets without yep. any of the news stories about like how yeah. horrible it is that a war has lasted 25 years or like someone's kid is fighting in the same war that yeah. their dad died in or whatever. Exactly. You can say it's over, um, and it is. I mean, there's the soldiers are mostly gone. I mean, it's just you, and then you can instead hire out some ex-apartheid. Because this is the other thing that's kind of fascinating. You can hire out an ex-apartheid mercenary from South Africa who is still really bitter and racist um, to go do guard duty instead of paying an American soldier to do that or have, risking an American soldier dying. So that, that's what we do now instead. And if they do anything fucked up that makes the headlines, then you're just like, well, that's not us. Yep. That's just some guy we hired. Yep. And I mean, what's, and the depressing thing also about it making the headlines, like this story was so hard to pitch. It, I, I tried about 40 different editors before we found a home for it. No one really cared. Um, I, I was told in the process that this was not vital, um, which, so it really, people, I mean, people, people aren't interested in the war and they're even less interested in the, um, in the kind of the shadow war that comes after. Well, Zach Kloppelin, I want to thank you for the piece and uh, your investigation into this. If people uh, want to read it, the, uh, the link will be in the show description. But if they would like to read more of your reporting, uh, where should they go? So I post most of it on my Twitter because, again, I work for an organization called the Government Accountability Project, which is a whistleblower group. Um, but we don't publish ourselves. So it's kind of scattered around. I've done a lot for a bunch of different outlets. So the easiest thing is my Twitter because that's where I have it all on it. Um, I don't have a, unfortunately, a centralized database of stories. Well, the link to your Twitter and the link to this article about uh, corruption in the Afghan mining contracting uh, will be in the show description. So I'd just like to say thank you, Zach Coplin, for joining us. 
Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's fun. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, so would it surprise you to learn that the boys did like 20 more minutes of riffs and goofs about zoos and animals and uh, which types of apes are which types of guys uh, during the zoo segment earlier? Uh, well, they did. And uh, I felt I felt the episode, you know, kind of flowed a little better to put the new stuff and interview up top and then put this uh, this animal segment back here. So just kind of popping in right now to say that uh, that's what you're about to hear because there's not really an intro or an outro or uh, any context for this. So uh, here's more zoo talk. Oh, and also while I'm here, I, I haven't mentioned the Frequency Festival in a week. So uh, why don't you go get tickets for that? Frequency dot live frqncy dot live our live streaming festival appearance on june 5th i think we're gonna have some cool stuff announced about that soon i just had a talk with our set designer who's gonna be like building a stage for this thing there's gonna be like sets and shit and lighting design and all that crap uh it's going to be very cool so uh get your tickets now for our live streaming festival performance on june 5th at frequency frqncy dot live and now back to the Dry Boys with more on those wonderful animals we all know and love. I have two, I have two interesting animal facts that I learned at the zoo that I'd like to share with our audience. Uh, the first being... Uh, the single, the largest mammalian predator species, the largest mammalian predator species, making it like an apex predator on the island of Madagascar, which is an enormous island. I mean, just ma- massive, like like in, in very distinct ecosystem. The largest mammalian predator is about the size of my cat Marty. <laughs> yeah, I think Marty's actually like bigger. It, like like they're like they're like the, the same size and weight. It is known as the fossa which is an interesting combination of cat and dog. But while we were there, Felix kind of blew me away, as, as, he, as he normally does with uh, the thoughts that he has. But he came <laughs> up with a... Uh, he said that all mammal species... He's, it's, a new, it's a new way of categorizing um, mammalian species. And he said that all mammal species can be broken down into three categories. Dog, cat, or person. Yeah, no, that's like, it. God damn, he's right again. <laughs> yeah, damn, he's right true. again. <laughs> like, you don't think it holds up, but like a taper is like, that's like a dog. Okay, a, a lemur, that's a guy. Like, all primates I mean, are guys or, per, or people. I mean, um, the, the problem is, like, the, the hooved mammals, it becomes a little bit more difficult to suss dogs. out. Dog, dog, dog. Yeah, no, okay, so like... Do you think they're sort of cat-like, though? Horses are dogs, for sure. Yeah, a horse and a Labrador is the exact same personality. Like, a zebra might be a cat. Who's a cat? Like, who's a cat in the the cat phylum there? Zebras, because, like, I I found out... Yeah, zebras are cats, undomesticatable. Yeah, and the deadliest those... uh, zoo animal. They kill yeah, the yeah, yeah, they are. zookeepers they, 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 every year. They, they injure and kill more zookeepers than any other animal. See, I think a lot of the deer species are very cat-like. And yeah, they're kind of furtive and quick and just sort of, uh, sk- you know, sort of skittering about. Mm, yeah. O- obviously, obviously, the big cats. I mean, they, they're cats. It's in, it's in the name. I think there, there. there are actually more cats than dogs. Like a red panda is a cat. Is uh, What's a uh, capybara? That's a dog. I would okay. say it's a person. A raccoon person. is a cat, right? No, I say person. I say capybara or people. Uh, uh, guy. guy. Yeah, because they do like 
they do they're like interested in every species like a person would be yeah like if bears are guys then uh then capybaras are guys yeah bears are absolutely people uh like, my, oh, my, yeah. my second my second animal fact though uh share this with you. felix and i we're treated to a very uh, a, a very uh, very up close and personal view of two hyenas which if you've never seen them up close uh they're enormous they're they're they're, they're, so they're terrifying fucking, yeah they're terrifying they are so big and um the little animal fact i learned about them is that they have the strongest jaws of any mammal and their bite is something like 1300 pounds of pressure per square inch i think i've i think i've read that hyenas can gnaw through steel bars if you give them a long enough time yeah they're fucking horrifying like that will be what comes after humans i have an idea It'll be like a hyena society. Please tell them that I am God. Look, you can say what you want about hyenas. They might look scary. They might have uh, incredibly strong jaws, but they make a great uh, open mic audience. Yeah. Just very easy laughers. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. They're, they, like, keep the pace. They're, like, um, how, like, Stav uh, ups the atmosphere yes. on Comic-Con. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, also, underrated uh, African wild dogs. Not not as big or menacing as hyenas, but they're, they're very, very cool beautiful. looking, very beautiful animals. Uh, very impressive. Very impressive to look at. That's how. That's what I like about like species like that. Like obviously, like you primarily when you think about going to the zoo, you're like, oh, I want to see the gorillas. I want to see the tapers. But then, like, it's cool seeing things that are just like a dog or a cat, but they're like more fucked up and their ears are round. For like the, <laughs> yeah. like, and yeah. it's like, oh, okay. I can see, like, I can see where these two things split off. Um, ca- Capuchin monkeys, we saw some of those. Those are good. Those are beautiful. Those are very, very good. Those are obviously, you know, guy, person. Yeah. 100%. The, bir- the, the birdhouse was fucking sick there were some very good birds in there some just yeah. like uh some, some people forget, like i i forget how big parrots are sometimes oh too. man they're giant they're huge they're huge parrots uh, are, that, that, that's what's yeah that's what i love about the birdhouse is that it's like you have parrots who are like that's a guy like they're mm-hmm. very smart like a I lot of birds are, are guys. guys too yeah crows guys like crows a lot are 100 guys yeah they're all really smart but then like you have like birds who are just like bugs, like they're so fucking dumb, <laughs> and it's like they don't look that different from the smart birds, which is I yeah, guess like, a lot like people. Like yeah. Yeah, if if you were another animal, like trying to figure out who's a really smart person and who's really stupid, it's like you wouldn't really be able to tell by appearance. Like they probably know, but we yeah. don't. Uh, another thing Felix said to me at the zoo that's that stuck with me for the last couple of days is we were coming out of the. Uh, we were just we we're coming off the experience of watching these two gorillas fight with each other, which is like, you know, you know, for Felix and myself, almost like a spiritual experience seeing yes. that up close, you know? Um, and I was like, you know, I mean, I know I know I don't need to convince anyone, but if like you you find yourself skeptical of like uh, the theory of Darwinian evolution, like just look at any ape and try to tell me that that's like not pretty much identical to a person. And Felix just said, yeah. When I look at chimps, I just see an evil person. <laughs> that's, yeah, no, that's what, like, you guys know my, like, unified theory of primates, right? Uh, no, I'm not Monday. sure if we do. <laughs> Every primate contains, like, an element of humanity. And it's, okay, like, interesting. Like, orangutans represent, like, a sort of scientific curiosity. Gibbons uh, express, like, a, 
like a type of fun loving and seeking of like fun and enjoyment and laughter. Uh, gorillas exemplify like a true love of family that you don't see in every mammal species. And chimps represent evil. <laughs> Being smart and evil. Yeah, they're the they're yeah. the they're the intellect unrestrained. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, just, like, like I, put I, to the task of killing each other and dominating. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I don't know, like I, I just like I, I was thinking of like a, like chimps, and it's just like yeah, like it's just like a person if they were not burdened by knowledge of like sin and and sort of self awareness. Yeah, you know, like, just pure aggression. But they like they pure tool wielding aggression without any uh, humanity. But they can be nice. Like there are like like they can be ta- like there's that video that chimp like very gently feeding a turtle. But it's like yeah, I feel like you have to like kind of train them to be that. Okay, way. but what about what about the chill, horny chimps, the bonobos? Yeah, bonobos are horny humans. They're sex nerds. <laughs> they're sex nerds. So <laughs> yeah. they're not I mean, evil. Which they, well, they, I mean, like, well, they can be evil. They, they can, can be, be evil, evil but, but they're not as essentially evil as chimps yeah, because no, they also no. can get things out through their weird sex games. It's just it's interesting because it's like there's all this. Uh, evidence of like orangutans and largibbons like two not not very territorial by primate standards uh subspecies and they like yeah there's a all these videos of gibbons going over to where tapers are and like grooming them and being like oh what's this thing this is awesome or like if you put a orangutan and gibbons in the same place like the orangutan will just like very gently shadow the gibbon because he'll be like, Oh, this thing's awesome. Like what's up with you? And it's like a chimp would just like enslave those things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just starts sharpening a stick immediately. Yeah. Uh, this is funny. On the, on the day we went to the zoo, I saw, I saw a Twitter post. that was like a screenshot of a, a Facebook page of someone who works at a zoo. And they were like, uh, you know, bad news today. We had to shut down the, uh, we had to shut down the baboon exhibit because one of our females just uh, sort of like miscarried and had a stillbirth and the entire troop is grieving. And by grieving, I mean they're tearing up the stillborn infant and throwing its body parts at each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will. I want to defend the baboons. I feel like Speak that maybe has its own meaning to them. And yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. What do baboons yeah. represent? Scary people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, like people who look scary but are actually the kindest. Yeah, like yeah. Or, or they could just be could they, they could just rip your face off. I mean, it's That's just true. like they're just just scary Facebook individuals. Guys. Facebook guys. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah, baboons like on baboon Facebook, it's like <laughs> When I get pissed, I get really quiet, and that's when you have to watch out. <laughs> I get really quiet, but my ass gets really red. So you can always <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That my that, genitals that, like, and asshole get inflamed. When you see them, and they've got like their asshole just flapping behind them, like a fucking whoopee cushion attached to their butt. It's gross. They're gross. Baboons yeah. are gross. I'm sorry. That's yeah. that's what happens when I see someone disrespecting the flag or yeah. kneeling for the national anthem. My asshole just sort of like becomes like a it fucking just prolapses. Completely. It just prolapses and it just starts <laughs> advertising yeah. to everyone. That's why they're that's why they're guys because like a really gross looking person is like uniquely gross to you in this way like as a person that another a animal point. can't they, really I mean, be. That's like you're repulsed by them not the way you'd be repulsed by an animal. Yeah. 
like, like a, if you saw a person like just really messed up and you had to avoid looking at him. Yeah, if you see like a dirty, fucked up, disgusting dog like Major Biden, it's like you can go on today. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a dog. Oh, yeah. Oh, but like, oh, but, like oh. but like a Largibbon. Largibbons are like handsome. Yes. <laughs> like yeah, they're gorgeous. They're completely yeah. gorgeous. And of they're course, uh, a, a, a silverback is some, yes. one of the biggest hunks yeah. in the universe. Yeah, enchanting. They have like, yeah. They're, yeah, they're like models. They have like beautiful cheekbones and shit. Yeah. Uh, just real, real quick, uh, as long as we're talking about animal news, you brought up Major Biden. Uh, did you guys see that they're getting a, they're getting a cat for the White House? Yeah, getting a cat oh, is going to chill out the dog. Major's going to have a and great if, you lunch. Know, if I've <laughs> if I've studied cartoons, I know how this is going to end, yeah. folks. Uh, is... I think I know how they're going to they're going to deal with Major Biden by having uh, Ob- Obama show up for Thanksgiving. Make <laughs> <laughs> dinner. That's going to be a great dogs. Jen Saki clapback moment when like they get the cat. Then like a month later, they're like, "We've never had a cat. What are you talking about?" <laughs> you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So will just be like 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 uh, like 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 Steve Ducey's son will just be like, "Yeah, what uh, what happened to the cat? Come on, really?" And then she'll just sort of like you know like purse her lips and be like. We're focused on not cat-related issues. <laughs> <laughs> we've moved on from the cat question. We've moved, yeah, we've moved on from the cat. Okay. I will have to circle back on that one. That's an excellent question. Oh, such an important question. Uh, we will circle back with you, and we'll, we'll circle back with you. It's an interesting question, but uh, we'll, we'll circle back. That cat is like, Major's just going to like daintily open the carrier cage and just <laughs> swallow him whole like an anaconda. <laughs> <laughs> that poor like, you cat. Know, like, the, like you know, like when you first get cats in a new space, they'll, they'll like they're very they're very skittish. So like they'll they'll run to like some hidden corner of the house and just sort of stay there for like a week or whatever until they get their bearings. They're gonna they're gonna open up the uh, like the carrying case, the little cage that the cat comes in. Uh, the cat is gonna just dart out but dart out like through a door into the open mouth of major. It's just like going into a door, but you're going into the stomach of a dog. Yeah. No, that's like, um, well, there hasn't been a lot of major news. Do you think they're like drugging him? I honestly think that they're replacing him with some sort of Boston dynamics, uh, device. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was like Biden having a, a filthy a big shitty dog that he can't fuck. That's so perfect. That's why he won. Like this, because yes, that is an American relatable thing. That is wildly more relatable than anything Trump has ever said or done. Is yeah, you know, he's okay. He's a good guy. While he's shitting on your fucking lap. <laughs> that's like that's such an American thing to have just like the worst dog in the world, and to be like he's actually no really in, like, smart, it less <laughs> bad and gross, yeah. and just expecting everybody to put up with it because it's like charming. Yeah, he's like he jumps up on you, and he's like untrimmed claws like just pierce through your stomach and you're like oh he love he loves people <laughs> he loves uh, you pissing on the resolute desk ah that's our boy <laughs> well i gotta say a uh, dog piss on the resolute desk would be a lot easier to deal with than cat piss which is like xenomorph yeah. blood if you've ever encountered it it is the most toxic oh, it's, substance it's known to man it is it is awful it is like it will it will permanently stain any hardwood floor it comes into contact with. I mean, not like I have any, you know, uh, security deposits uh, still outstanding because of issues like that or anything. My cats are very well behaved. To all um, future uh, renters. All right. All right. So uh, that was that was the Chapo Zoo report. Um, hopefully we'll be, uh, I don't know, visiting some more zoos in the future and we'll give you some more animal news coming through. Oh. But I think, I think, I think it's yeah. good to check in on the, the animals, just what they're up to. It's fascinating shit. Yeah. No, th- like... 
that's the thing. Like zoos are like obviously it's like kind of like on the whole uh, on the whole like suboptimal because it's like yeah a lot of them like shouldn't live in zoos, but for a lot of animals like animals that live in zoos like a lot of the times they've been like rejected by their mom or like they just they couldn't make it in whatever conservatory they're in <laughs> they couldn't hack it yeah <laughs> they got fired and it's like <laughs> they got it, fired from nature that's like that's <laughs> yeah. like they're usually run by conservation societies and it's like i mean you gotta fund a conservation society somehow because it's like that was the other thing we we're talking about at the zoo like if bill gates or like jeff bezos like if they wanted to in like an afternoon they could like kill everyone who's poaching elephants <laughs> like they could like everyone who like every rich guy who like hunts elephants and shit they could just get yeah, like like wayne them. lapierre like, yeah they could oh, put a bounty God. like they could have One some of sort of crowdsourced bounty stories i've ever read in my life yeah, yeah. no that that that's that what put me into i mean the, the i honestly place. think you should that should be a death penalty offense. Yeah, you're not. Like that. You're not like, a for part serious. Of this I don't. I honestly, hundred percent, believe that there should be no capital punishment for anyone committing a crime against another person. But there are certain classes of animals that I think you have to have a death penalty for killing to yeah, make if the elephant, point. Elephant, the great sacred ape. deer, and elephants are number one on the list. Elephants are like if you yeah if you see an elephant you're like that would be cool to kill that thing yeah it's you're like, a, you're a monster yeah you're fucked up you're so fucked you up. are you cannot you cannot function among us as anything other than a fucking poison as a carcinogen yeah. but like that story in particular where like they couldn't even kill it and they had to shoot yeah it like he couldn't like times. big bad NRA guy takes three <laughs> shots gets knocked on his ass by the recoil and the fucking guide has to finish it off. Like a cartoon, you wouldn't do that. It would be too on the nose to yeah. have the NRA guy be a fucking pussy who needs somebody to tie down an elephant and even then can't finish the job. No, we were just talking about like the sort of like the sense of just like absolute cosmic injustice that like Don Jr. could go to Africa and kill an uh, elephant. Like that, like God. that those two beings exist on this universe, like perceiving, like being aware of being alive, and one of them gets to kill the other one and like cut off its tail for a photo is. I'm sorry, like, there, there's no God in, like, yeah. a world where that can happen. Yeah, yeah. like, Don Jr., like, the elephant is, like, m more self-cognizant than Don Jr. 100% yeah. has deeper emotional connections to its family. But, like, what should happen is, like, when there's, like, a George Soros or Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, like, someone with, like, tens of billions of dollars, right? Their thing should be, like, they all protect a different animal. And, like... You know, for people who have to, like, get involved in the poaching industry in those countries, it's like, yeah, it's a bad situation. But it's like, yeah, if you have $70 billion, you can take care of that. And then that's like, the thing. You don't even have to make it like an armed force. How about you just economically develop those areas? Yeah. And so as people don't even have to think to do it. And then you also have significant uh, bump up security, too. And then the rich guys who hunt them, it's like, OK, Wayne LaPierre, then Bill Gates, who's like higher in the NWO. Bill Gates is like the cardinal of the NWO. Wayne LaPierre is no one. He's a pig. He's nothing. He's a pig. Yeah. Bill he Gates is as meaningful yeah. as an Afghan poppy <laughs> farmer. They could wipe him off the planet with a drone strike in an afternoon. No one would care. Yeah. I Bill, Yeah. But like, they're not doing that because they're bad. Well, yeah. Th and that's and the and worst they thing do they do. It, it would be to do something worse because yeah. they can't do anything but evil. So, like, so zoos, like, zoos exist to, like, raise money for conservation and, like, get people interested in animals. I wish there were 
other ways to do it. But yeah, no, I mean, conservation, you should, you should see like the destiny and the duty of humans to protect all the glories of nature or at least stop fucking destroying it. Yeah. Stop I mean, fucking just like, I just, just if, if, if you're one of these guys like Wayne LaPierre or like, like a dentist that pays money to like, go on like a big game so far and essentially just be driven up to like a sleeping leopard and then blow hey. his brains out. <laughs> Like I like if you're paying money to do that and going like in country on one of these like safari hunts, I think you should have to like understand that like while you are hunting or stalking this animal, like you are being stalked by like a team of highly trained killers, highly trained ex-military <laughs> yes, operatives. Dangerous game after all. <laughs> well, that, that's like yeah. a great thing you can do with like Navy SEALs and shit. Is like not even give them the context of it. Just like they are stalking the hunters, and it's like. You can tell them whatever stupid thing. Yeah, they're in Al Qaeda. Yeah, it's oh, they're in Al Qaeda. Oh, these are <laughs> these guys work for Chrissy Teigen and John Legend. Yeah, like they're if they're Q dipshits, it's like yeah, these guys are the the cabal. They're yeah. the adrenochrome people. Yeah, and it's like, and you'd be pretty much right. Yeah, absolutely. Like they, yeah, but and there's um, another thing. Another yeah, great idea. Great, we solve so many problems at once. With our and, uh, you know, and like we like Felix and I thought like this would, this would be a great way to deal with all of these like mercenary types and like you know keep them employed but like crucially out of the United States of America for the rest of their life but like not killing people because uh, like Wayne Lapierre is not a person yeah. but you just keep them over there and you airdrop them like you know protein shakes and Joe Rogan podcast episodes <laughs> and they'll be happy they're loving it they're yeah. loving it they can still go on Facebook. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. They still post like, ins insane arguments, but it's like their job is to make sure rich guys don't kill elephants or like whatever other amazing species. Or like, I mean, whatever. There, there has to be like a, sort of like a like a like a like a pay uh, uh, some sort of like pay like paycheck imposed price a price tag. There's got to be a price on, tag. on doing. There's yeah. got to be a price yeah. tag, and I think uh, you know, uh, just like yeah, like all all of the sort of. The, the the canopy of like ex-military mercenary guys I think can be put to work um, just sort of being like having some sort of crowdsourced bounty on elephant killers out there in the world. Yeah, and this is like, this gives me no pleasure to take something away from the Greeks, but sorry, they would be used to protect octopuses from you. <laughs> like, they're too smart. I'm sorry, you can't do it. Octopus, like, after humanity, it's going to be a society... Um, run by octopuses that's hyenas. true the cephalopods will inherit the earth yeah no that's that's what it's gonna be yeah i uh, hope you enjoyed the uh the animal news uh, i think we should call this episode we went to a zoo yeah we we bought part of a zoo <laughs> <laughs> all right Same. cheers Same you when you step up to Shame on you when you step through, too. The old dirty bastard, Brooklyn, too.